the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is the Rob Black Show. A thunderstorm in the markets, to say the least, yesterday. Like a real good thunderstorm. Every major index closed lower. NASDAQ dropped almost 4%. Worst day of the year. Um, Bitcoin, Ethereum, both erased 5.5% each. Nobody is safe out there. Uh, it feels like a shark movie, right? Um, wow. Microsoft beat on top and bottom lines last night, notching an earnings per share adjustment of 222 a share. Expectations for 219. What was important was revenue grew 19% year over year. That's a pretty good number. The company's security and cloud divisions helped float that. Um, important to note, we're in earnings season. I'm kind of starting as a hot mess today. Sorry. Um, some of the earnings are pretty good and some of them are being met with a little bit of disappointment. I saw Google last night and Microsoft both report numbers. And initially there was some softness in the stock and aftermarket trading, but it's almost as if you have to crush numbers and not beat numbers. My thought that I want to throw down there for you is some companies are holding up pretty well. And those are the ones you want to make a shopping list out of. Corrections and bear markets tend to retest their bottoms. And that's kind of where we are. Today's most important number of the day. This is going to be important. I told you I started off as a hot mess. But suddenly I cut right to the most important thought of the day. It's the VIX. What is the VIX? It's a volatility index. It's the point of pain. It's the point of stupidity. It's the point of panic. It's the point where people are like, I can't take it anymore. And we're at a point right now where it creates an amazing buying opportunity, more likely than not. Anytime it gets above 30, all the way up to 50, 50 is the buying point. It's been a historic buying signal. You have to shake out the weak hands. In the last couple of weeks, I've been reminding you, inflation's going to last all year long. The numbers will start looking better towards the end of the year. With what's going on in the Ukraine and China, that could probably likely give leeway to the Federal Reserve to slow down interest rate hikes and keep a more lowered interest rate environment for the longer term. But first, they have to get ahead of inflation, so it's going to add to the problems. China's got a COVID problem where I believe if one person gets COVID, they lock down the whole city. What? (laughs) Russia and Ukraine, the poker that goes on from Putin uh, continues to play out, and it's hurting the world economies. If you weren't mad about Russia invading Ukraine for the humanitarian reasons, you should be mad about Russia invading Ukraine for the economic damage it's doing to the rest of the world, especially poorer countries. Now you get the inflation thing, but that little flag should be taken off because of flag number one and flag number two. 
Okay, well, not really. <clears throat> Let's go back to China. Let's circle back for a second. If they shut down due to COVID, the two-week, two-year shutdown, as we've learned, weren't we supposed to shut down for two weeks? Yes. Is it more like two years? Yes. But what you're seeing out of Russia or out of China right now is it's both good and bad. And that's okay. We can deal with that. There is nothing happening in the world that we've not seen before. Nothing. We've been through bigger wars. And we've been through higher inflation. Of note on the inflation side, through the years, we have gotten way better at supply chain management. But when people can't go to factories, you can't get the supply chain working. Will it play itself out? Likely. The commentary that Wall Street is looking into a lot is that vaccines out of China just aren't as good as the vaccines out of Pfizer. Period. So they're still dealing with a more severe case of what happens when it hits you. Whereas we are now treating it as a common cold, many Americans. Kamala Harris gets COVID and she's like, nope, don't feel a thing. I'm fine. Common cold kind of scenario. Now, again, I'm not a doctor. I don't play on TV. I don't even watch doctor shows. The last doctor show I watched was probably 25 years ago, St. Elsewhere. That was a long time ago. When ABC, NBC, CBS was television you could watch. Now, not so much. Okay. What else do we have to hit? Um, let's hit the 10-year treasury. It's pulled off from that 3% area. It's down to 2.73%. That should give the markets a little bit of a breather because it's gone big move fast this year. Huge move this year. Stocks are really vibing with the April showers theme right now. They continued to slide dramatically yesterday over fears of slowing economic growth. Deutsche Bank didn't improve Wall Street's mood, forecasting a major recession when the Fed yanks interest rates higher to tame inflation. I think Deutsche Bank is seeing it. I think I'm seeing it. They should have some little bit of leeway not to go aggressive. They've already said we're going to do one rate hike per month. Keep it at that. Or say we'll do two rate hikes and say we're going to wait and maybe not do a rate hike next time if it's not warranted. Because there's a lot going on, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time to play out through. Russia appears to be going through its threat to cut off gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria. The dramatic move sent European gas prices 17% higher. The really good thing is it's not winter. The really bad thing is it's, again, an escalation. Tesla shares cratered yesterday. I wonder what Elon Musk is going to do because the European Union said, you know, Elon, if you do take over Twitter, you're still going to have to censor some of the commentary that goes through. And that's not what he really wants to hear right now. Tesla shares cratered, losing $125 billion in market cap. That's a lot. Considering the deal for Twitter is $43 billion? And we still don't know exactly how it's lined up other than roughly $21 billion we can count up. We're still looking for that other $22 billion. Jack Dorsey said, Elon is the singular solution I trust. I trust his mission to extend the light of consciousness. That's a little bit hippie. Jeff Bezos was a little bit more skeptical. Listen to what Bezos had to say yesterday, talking about Musk's getting into, well, keep in mind, Jeff Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk kind of fight over who's going to be the space cowboy. But Bezos brought up something that's pretty smart to bring up. Uh, The Chinese market is huge to Tesla's business. 
huge Tesla's business. Did the Chinese government just gain a bit of leverage over the town square that is Twitter, is what Jeff Bezos said. At any point in time, the Chinese government, I want to call it the communist Chinese government. I think that's fair. I think it's it's relatively safe terms. Um, they can pull Elon Musk. They can pull Apple out of their country. They've threatened to do it before. Companies like Google have left the country in large part because they, they didn't want to bend China's demands. Will China make Elon Musk monitor Twitter differently in China than he does in the rest of the world? A lot of Twitter, a lot of, excuse me, a lot of followers quit Twitter. Why is that hard to say? Followers quit Twitter. Um, As Musk has taken over Twitter, you saw a lot of liberals leave the platform. Pretty interesting. At a time where they should probably want to stick around to show force and unity, they're quitting. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Thanks for listening. A straightforward approach to managing your money. The Rob Black Show. I don't usually tell a lot of personal stuff. I guess I do. <laughs> Whoops. Right now, Ben Haim is playing on the radio side of the podcast. Um, I'm taking my son to see Haim on Friday. Why? He's a teenager and teenagers need live bands. I think it helped me enormously as a teenager become more of a man. Live entertainment woke me up, so to speak, and made me want to get a job and see bands and travel the world. Um, also because it's a band of three sisters and there's nothing cooler than me than family that stays together, people that will fight for you. Um, they're not the prettiest girls, so they're not selling that. They're selling the fact that they can hit and bang a drum and play a guitar. I don't want my kid to see that. Um, will he like the show? I think so. Let's talk other angles. And I'm, I'm only bringing that up because every now and then when the stock market's correcting, it feels horrible. Get perspective. Slap yourself a little bit. What are you going to do this weekend? This too shall pass. We've been through crazier things. World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam. We went through the Cuban Missile Crisis. We've been through high inflation. We've been through stagflation. We've been at oil at 150 and oil at free. So, so hard to give away. The world is in such duress. And we had it sitting in ocean liners waiting to be delivered. And it was just coming out of the ground. This market has seen everything. There's one thing that, it, that I'm eyeballing pretty hardcore, and you should be eyeballing pretty hardcore too, are it's the housing market. It's kind of a tale of two markets right now. People who are buying homes with mortgages, I think are taking a lot more risk than people who are buying homes with cash because they sold stock last year like I did. I felt stupid last year raising money at a market all-time high to buy an asset, real estate. Um, I took out a very small loan at 2.5% to kind of like ease my fear a little bit. But in hindsight, I feel pretty comfortable about that. Um, some news out today makes me a little bit more leery for the housing market. And again, I'm, I'm talking about two markets, people who buy homes with stocks and people who buy homes with uh, mortgages. 
right now, the average American is spending up to 33% of their income on a mortgage. I think that's too high. It's too much of our income. The average household spends 31% of its income on mortgage payments. That's up from 24% in December and the highest share since 2007. There's no room. There's no wiggle room for mistakes. And when you start talking about recession and job cuts, those are mistakes that are coming down the road. Typical household is spending 31% of its income on mortgage payments. Um, the highest we've ever seen it uh, in the last 25, 30 years was 2006, right when the housing market collapsed for two years, 2006, 2007, 2008. Real estate went down 30, 40%. The surge in mortgage payment to income ratio underscores the problem facing prospective US home buyers right now. And the surge in mortgage rates from 2.5% to over 5% in under a year tells you it's exponentially changing hardcore. I think this is all really fair game for you to start thinking about, you know, what's next to fall. And so you're comfortable when it does, if it does, if it doesn't, sweet. Like I think Alphabet, their quarters portends very poorly for Facebook tonight or Meta. Meta's a mess. They're a mess. Zuckerberg was like, yeah, we got this Facebook thing. It's rocking and rolling. Instagram's starting to grow. I'm going to focus on the metaverse because I don't like talking to Congress. The boy should grow up and he should fix his management problem. And then he should focus on metaverse. When he has good human beings leave his company because they're doing harm to society, he needs to fix his company. Okay. So what is the troubling statistic in the mortgage world that's troubling me? The use of adjustable rate mortgages. Demand has doubled as interest rates hit the highest level since 2009. An adjustable rate mortgage ties you to kind of like the 10-year treasury, 2.7% plus 1%. So your mortgage might be 3.7. It's not quite that simple, but that's the idea. It's an adjustable rate mortgage. It's typically tied just towards something like a 10-year note or the LIBOR. I'm trying to speak in terms that make sense for everyone. It says we've seen that that tenure creep higher and higher and higher and higher. People have said, okay, the 30-year mortgage has creeped way too high for us. So let's just do a mortgage for seven years and we'll make it adjustable or five years, make it adjustable. And then it balloons. And see, that's where the ballooning is going to hurt people down the road is they're going to have to refinance that mortgage again in five years. And if, if mortgages or if home prices go up in value, that's great. If they go down in value, they're upside down and whoa, they're in trouble. So today, the two things that have troubled me is seeing that we're starting to creep way too high on the percentage of income that we're using to pay our mortgages as Americans, and the use of adjustable rate mortgages is doubling. Now, again, that may be how you get in, but that's not how you want to play the game. I got an email yesterday from a guy named Tony, who's been a follower of the show for eight years. And I got rude with him. Because he keeps asking me the same damn question. He just wants me to agree with him on housing. A couple of weeks ago, he emailed me. Um, is it a bad time to buy a rental in a rising interest rate environment? Um, it might not be cash flow positive. Probably 30, 35% down for $600,000 property. Uh, what are your thoughts? Or should I wait for more inventory to hit the market? First and foremost, I can, I can tell you a lot of things. In the last eight years, he sent me hundreds of emails 
Okay, I'm gonna say 100 emails. And he's always trying to get ahead quickly. He's always trying to cut the line, so to speak. He has a good salary in the Bay Area. Fantastic salary, 200,000 plus. He wasn't able to um, buy a home. So he started saving for a home, but he also started saving for retirement. He, was, he had asked me things like, should I cut my 401k, $17,500 per year that I'm putting into it and put that into a down payment on a house? Um, because it's really tough to do both. And it's just, the answer is, that's your answer. I think funding a retirement account is much more important than funding a housing account. Why? Because the stock market crushes the housing market over time. Not right now, but over time. For the last 30 years, the housing market has underperformed the stock market at the tune of 400%. In a lifetime, that's millions and millions and millions of dollars if you invest. Now, Tony just won't take no for an answer. He wants to buy a rental that's not going to be cash flow positive, that's in a rising right environment, that he's going to use a lot of money as a down payment that he should be saying, should I be taking advantage of this market that's down? When you say the VIX hitting 31 to 50 is typically a buy signal, should I be paying attention to that, Rob, instead of my inane want to own real estate in Dallas or Oregon? He's never even been to Dallas or Oregon. There's a big, big problem here. He's hopeful. He's wishful. Hope belongs on the football field and in, a, in, in your religion. I hope there's an afterlife, and I hope the San Francisco 49ers win the Super Bowl. Well, I'd say the San Francisco Giants win the World Series because people around me will be happy. I can't control that stuff. He's getting ready to plow into real estate in an interest rate environment that's going higher that he can't afford his own market of California, so he's going into other markets. I see problems coming for Tony. The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com. Invest in what is really important. Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. Are you concerned with financial planning, tax planning, managing your investments, or just planning your retirement? Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, EP has your financial future in mind. Learn more by visiting robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. This is Rob Black. Thank you for listening to my podcast, The Rob Black Show. If you're looking for a certified financial planner or getting ready for retirement, contact me at rob at robblackshow.com. I can get you in touch with a certified financial planner from EP Wealth. Contact me, rob at robblackshow.com. Dot com. That's Rob at robblackshow.com. Resources to help you manage your money. Visit robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Very rarely does Wall Street move straight up. And when it does pull back down 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%, sometimes it comes back in and checks in with that pullback before it figures out its next longer-term direction, it kind of works in that area. Joining me now to talk a little bit about what he's seen in the market action, Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. Patrick, um, interesting times. Um, yesterday was one of those days where you're like, ooh, should I turn off the TV or should I, should I watch the misery and kind of relish the misery that people are going through? Yeah. Hi. Good morning, Rob. And it certainly is uh, interesting uh, times and uh, interesting action in the stock market, which 
appears to have achieved a, um, a handoff uh, somewhat from uh, concerns about inflation to, uh, to concerns about growth. Uh, and what it, you put it together, it seems to be also, um, you know, growing concerns about stagflation perhaps. Okay. Uh, but we're starting to see, you know, these cyclical sectors uh, underperform. Um, and, uh, but in general, though, you're just not seeing, you know, much interest in, in, in anything. Uh, for that matter, there's been a lot of deleveraging taking place in the equity market with uh, money managers uh, down to you know, retail investors, you know, cutting their exposure uh, as uh, they stare at the prospect of a more aggressive central bank, not just in the U.S., but in Europe as well. Uh, and, uh, and the likelihood that um, the supply chain pressures are going to, to persist and also the potential for uh, earnings estimates in the back half of the year not living up to uh, expectations. So we've seen all the problems in the world right now. We've seen variations or iterations of them before. You know, war in Ukraine, we've seen war in Afghanistan. Um, China's pandemic issue we've seen in the United States. We've been through it, we've gotten through it. Is there anything different this time um, that's, you know, got you worried. I know some of them, it starts to add up, you know, Fed Reserve and inflation, China has problems with COVID, supply chain, Russia's got problems with oil and gas create, creating uh, world disruptions. Is there anything that I'm missing that I, it's not textbook, but it's also not as bad long-term as people are acting again? Um, well, the one, you know, wild card really, I think is what what's, going on in between Russia and Ukraine. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, you just you just don't know how war will ultimately unfold. And, you know, what we can gain a sense of now is that it certainly doesn't appear as if President Putin has any intention of, uh, you know, backing down without claiming some form of territorial victory. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you hear this morning that now Russia's cut off gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria because they won't pay in rubles as Russia has uh, required. Um, it, it, and, and there's these anecdotal reports as well that there's explosions in Moldova, uh, which raises concerns about perhaps some type of, uh, um, you know, incursion there on Russia's part. Uh, you know, it, there's a lot of uncertainty in there. And, um uh, and that's that's one of those. I just you just can't quantify it really. Um, you would hope that it stays contained and doesn't get any worse than it currently is, uh, but there's no indication yet to suggest that it's going to get markedly better uh, anytime soon. And so, uh, so I do worry about that. Uh, now, the Fed, of course, you know, rate hikes. Uh, I mean, the market. What you what you've seen in the price action to this point. Is a is a market rapidly discounting the, the you know the specter of these higher interest rates coming from the Federal Reserve, and the the knowingness that you know higher rates the knock on effect of higher rates is going to be slower economic growth. Uh, what's uncertain right now though is just how much slower, uh, and if we ultimately do tip into a recession, when will that be? So the timing is also uncertain, and how deep any recession will be. Uh, so. Uh, so that's something that, you know, the market is really grappling with now as it relates to the earnings outlook and why we're seeing a, a re-rating, if you will, uh, with the markdown in valuations and the comeuppance for uh, a lot of these, you know, companies that, uh, you know, were 
just driven to insane heights last year uh, and weren't making any money and didn't have the uh, potential to make any money anytime soon. I'm trying to put together kind of some commentary on what we've seen in the last 24 hours. And the best it can come from is Google's YouTube reported a slowdown in ad spending, which from a year ago, we were reopening the economy. There was a lot of ad spending. Maybe advertisers are getting a little bit more cautious now because they've cut that a little bit, but it wasn't momentous. Um, is that kind of the theme? Maybe we are starting to see proof of a slowdown that the government money spending days of the pandemic are behind us and standing on your own won't be as great as we want it to be? I think that's a fair point. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, the market is is trying to get its mind around that. Um, okay. You know, uh, Alphabet's report, look, I'm still double digit growth, right, off of a very difficult comparison. Um, so it's, and it's already come down significantly in price. So um, but it, it is kind of a sign of the times right here is that there is no room for disappointment right now because the market is so nervous about growth rates decelerating and uh, maybe even declining in some, some instances. And so, um, so that's a worry. Uh, you know, you look at even like the pending home sales report that we saw this morning. Um, it's the fifth consecutive decline in pending home sales, right? Um, the mortgage bankers applications index this morning, um, you know, looked awful relative to purchase and refinancing applications. And so you're starting to see higher mortgage rates bite, you know, uh, in terms of housing uh, demand or interest. Uh, and uh, and the market is, is coming around to this. I think it's starting to recognize that, you know, on the margin, you're going to start seeing probably, uh, you know, reports of a slowdown. And, and again, just you know, it, it's all related to the uncertainty factor of just, you know, how significant will a slowdown be? Will it just be a gradual uh, um, insignificant one or is it going to you know, really get sharp uh, and, and things turn down significantly? And and really, the you know, the answer there is going to be ultimately, you know, in the consumer's hands, um, you know, and, and uh, what they're going to be doing with their discretionary spending activity. Uh, because if there's genuine concerns on the part of companies that, you're going to see the consumer pull back uh, considerably, you know, then, um, you know, then you have uh, you know, something more significant to worry about. But, you know, if we listen to General Motors, I mean, they're saying they're still seeing ongoing strong demand despite the inflation pressures. Uh, obviously, Visa had some good things to say about consumer demand still. Um, the airlines seeing great leisure travel demand. There's no question about that. But, uh, but I don't know if the market's really given an allowance for that, those acknowledgements beyond maybe the next three months or so. Uh, and the concern is what happens again, you know, more in the back half of the year is, you know, how tolerant will these consumers be of these ongoing price increases? And there's some real doubt that they'll be able to keep uh, passing through these prices or, or accept the price increases on the part of businesses across the country. I saw someone, was it Google this morning announcing a bigger buyback? I think it was Google. They, they announced, yeah, a buyback of up to $70 billion, right? <laughs> so it's a massive amount. Uh, and that's a good sign. You know, I, I, at this point, uh, I think this is when you want to see companies buy back stock when right. they've been marked down, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50%, right? That's, uh, I think, a, uh, when they should be buying stock, not necessarily when they've gone up 50, 60, 70, 100%, right? So, uh, so I think we, if we could hear more in terms of companies that have the capacity to, uh, you know, buy back a good bit of stock, uh, given the discounts we've seen in many prices now across the market, 
uh, we would hope to hear more companies announce uh, aggressive buyback plans. Is, and that would be a, a more encouraging sign that, you know, they see uh, are seeing better value in their own stocks uh, and could, you know, potentially act as a salve here for some of the selling pressure that we've seen and the, the persistent selling pressure and the inclination to sell into strength. Yeah, that made me smile when I saw Google's buyback. For the record, I own some shares of Google. Nothing crazy, but it, financial and engineering is a part of this. They they don't have to sit there and take what the market gives them. They can financial engineer positive results in the future. I, it's interesting to note that Robinhood's cutting 10% of their staff, roughly, telling me that a lot of the speculation of the young kids are going to leave the market. But um, Tesla, don't you don't you think Elon Musk's wish he had that a couple extra billion to buy back shares of Tesla? What a day yesterday. Any thoughts on what's going on with Tesla and Twitter? Um, you know, the one thought, I, I don't have a lot to say about uh, Tesla. I mean, I, I, I can I get why, you know, the stock might have reacted as negatively as it did if it's, you know, worried that, you know, maybe Elon Musk is going to have to sell some stock to finance his purchase of Twitter, you know, um, and it's and you had just a general fallout in these mega cap names as well. But um, Twitter, you know, the thing about that, that you know, the, the thought that crossed my mind with that was the board accepting that you know, buyout price of 5420, uh, which was well below, you know, it's, it's high price, um, you know, could be also a little bit of a, um, uh, of a wake up call just to, you know, for a lot of people to recognize that the highs we saw, in them, you know, in a lot of these uh, last year aren't going to be, are not going to be revisited anytime soon. And, uh, and it, I think it's probably just an acknowledgement that, you know, Things also got carried away from a price standpoint, and we have to reset the bar. And in Twitter's case, um, you know, analysts that I've been listening to that follow the stock closely seem to think that uh, it was a generous buyout offer at 54.20, and that there were no other suitors above that. So, kind of a bit of a wake-up call here to just remind ourselves that you know valuations always matter, and what we saw last year was. Uh, pretty much on the outlandish side for a lot of these growth stocks. And it's going to take some while here for things to reset and uh, for them to really develop the traction to, you know, try and make a move toward those, uh, toward those prior highs, but don't expect that move to occur or the revisit to happen anytime soon. Thank you very much. It's Patrick O'Hare. I wish we had more time today. I read his materials every morning. I start my day at briefing.com. Uh, today, he talks on page one, oversold market aiming for a rebound try. Uh, this week, he'll finish the week with a big picture of what's going on in the economy and the stock market. It's usually very thought-provoking. It's a great website. It's been one of my favorite for 20-plus years, and Patrick is one of my favorite Wall Streeters. You can find him online at briefing.com. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is The Rob Black Show. So the market's had full valuations. It's something we've been talking about for two years. During the pandemic, the stock market's made 70 new highs last year. That's not normal. A lot of the economy was being funded by the United States government. That's not normal, and it's not sustainable. Although we've been doing it for years and years and years. We just did a lot of it in the last two years. Um, I was just talking to uh, someone whose fund manager got them Twitter instead of Google. I'm like, I probably would have gone with Google instead of Twitter because I don't see the long-term case for Twitter making millions and hundreds of millions versus Google making hundreds of billions. But Google got ahead of itself, whereas Twitter was a bad business model for 10 years. It created buying opportunities. Over the long run, the tortoise and the hare, I could take a look at the S&P 500 top 10 holdings or the Vicex top 10 holdings. Vicex is a fund of stocks that are, are considered sins. 
um, like smoking, like oil, um, things that we've been doing for 20, 30, 40 years. When the market gives you opportunities, and this is an opportunity, this is almost a once in a generational opportunity. I said that on March, 2020, and I'm saying it again now. If we hold this bottom, you're going to feel great for scaling in. I'm getting, this is not investment advice. I want to, I want to stop right there. I want to talk a little bit more about opportunities. When the VIX hits 30 to 50, it's historically a buying sign. When the 10 year treasury is under three and a half percent, it's you favor stocks over bonds. It doesn't always work, but it works more often than not that I could say it on air and not look like a fool. I pity the fool that looks like Mr. T. I miss Mr. T. I know he's not dead, but I miss him. It's like I miss a Pee Wee Herman. I know he's not dead. And for the record, he's got one of the best uh, Facebook pages I've ever seen. He just report, he just does these ridiculous things that make you smile. He doesn't do it. He finds other people like um, a carport that rolls away. <laughs> like, like you could park your car and then it, it puts the car in shade. And then when you move your car, it hides the shade from the public view. It's like, why? And the answer is because it does. So anyway, the top 10 holdings at the S&P 500, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, Berkshire, Tesla, NVIDIA. I think that's a shopping list. It's a pretty good set of names. The company that I'm interested in is Berkshire Hathaway. Out of all of those, and then I could say Amazon I like, Microsoft I like, Apple I'm a little bit nervous with because they have so much hardware dependency on China and on supply from components of China. Um, but then I'm going to take a look at, you know, ideas and themes. For instance, here's an idea and theme. Um, Visa is a transaction company. I own shares of Visa. I like Visa. I like MasterCard. At certain times, I like American Express. If you think small business is picking up, the time to buy American Express is when small business is in the, in the pooper. When we're doing PPP loans for small businesses in America. When we're saying, you know, oh, the recession's, you know, we have... 10% unemployment and small businesses are hurting the most. Big companies don't need bailout. That's when you buy American Express, when the news is bad. When do you buy oil? When oil is at 10 to $20 a barrel or $40 a barrel, because historically I've liked it between 40 is too cheap. 60 is just right. 80 is too much. When it's 100, I would be looking to let go. But not all stocks are meant to be rentals and not all stocks are meant to be long-term holds. You need to decide that before you get into it. Um, let me give you two quick examples, Visa and Capital One. I like both stocks. Longer term, I like Visa as a hold. But right now, if we start seeing uh, bankruptcies creep up, you're going to go, oh, the banks like Capital. See, Capital One is the bank and they, they issue Capital One Visas. Visa is just the transaction company. So every time you use your credit card, Visa makes money. So today when you're like, uh, let's say you go to a Giants game. And you see people whip out their visas and they slide and slide and slide and slide and slide. And it's like, as an owner of that company, you're like, sweet, that's my money. They're making me money. They're a fintech company. They invest in new companies that are starting up. And yeah, you need to be worried about those new banks that are starting up in Europe that are basically flicking a middle finger to the big banks, the historic banks, the legacy banks. And the younger people today under 35, they don't care about Goldman Sachs or Barclays. They don't mind using a, a bank called, now uh, <laughs> I'm dropping uh, banks, but like Robinhood, you know, alternatives come up and they, they get endorsed and they get pulled in. But okay, so like I've got money 
um, with Flourish. It's an online bank. Um, it's paying me 0.45% of my cash. I don't do any other banking with them. I don't do checking. I don't do savings. I, I just, I park cash there. I'm good with that. So I like Capital One as a trading vehicle. I like Visa as an investment vehicle. I like Coca-Cola as an investment vehicle for the long term. So why do I like Capital One? Why do I want Capital One to hit bad news? Because they generally get it under control. When there's a recession and you start hearing about people losing jobs, when people lose jobs, they're not buying homes and they're foreclosed on their homes. And they're also buying groceries on their credit cards and they're not paying their credit cards. That's when Capital One reports huge losses. That's when real estate values come down. Don't pay your mortgage, it goes into foreclosure. 20 houses become 40 houses on the market. 40 houses become 80 houses on the market. That's when you get your best deal. When the news is bad, not when the news is good, when the news is bad. So I'm not going to say wait for it, but just start seeing what's long-term for you and what's a rental. Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. This is The Rob Black Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.